0: I wanted to play that video for you this morning because it summarizes so well, not only the story of the Bible, but it brings us to the passage that we are going to be looking at today. Our series during this season of Advent, that word means arrival, the season in which Christians historically have looked towards Christmas, it means, Advent means arrival, and Just like our Old Testament counterparts, just like the church in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, we are waiting. We are not waiting on the first arrival of the Messiah. We are waiting on the second. And so we have been looking at pictures from the book of Revelation. Uh, And today uh, we are going to go to the very end of the story, Revelation uh, Revelation chapter 21. If you want to turn there you're using the uh, church Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, we invite you to grab that uh, Bible that should be somewhere in front of in the row in front of you. Uh, today's passage is going to be on page 1041. Let me pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for hope. We thank you for giving us a compelling vision of the future of reality. Lord, I thank you for the time that we have spent this month uh, looking at the book of Revelation, looking at what you are doing now presently and what you will do in the future. And Lord, I pray that what we read today uh, would stir us and would move us to live more holy and more fully for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. The detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. May he write its eternal truths on our hearts. This is probably a little bit of a big question for a Christmas Eve Sunday, maybe more than you're prepared to answer at this moment. But, what is the point of your life? Let me ask it another way: what's what's the goal? what's What's the long term finish line towards which you are running? What about human history? Where is it going? What is the finish line for human history? I realize that's a a mighty big question. You may not have come prepared to answer that. But it's a very important question. Because if we have the wrong goal, if I'm looking at the wrong finish line, then I'm going to be running in the wrong direction. So this morning, I want to talk about the answer that Christianity provides for those big questions. Realize, I think everybody's asking those questions, and I think that everybody has an answer of some sort, whether you've thought about it or not. So I want to talk about how Christianity answers that question. And if you ask most people what Christianity is all about, you might get some answer like this. Jesus came to forgive my sins so that I can live with God forever when I die. And that's true, at least as far as it goes. My issue with that response is that it kind of cuts the ending short. So it's kind of like getting to third base and just stopping and thinking you're at home plate. It doesn't quite go far enough and and here's why that's an issue here's what can happen if we cut that story short in that answer the gospel becomes about me and about my need my sin and once my needs are met once my sin is taken care of well then what and then church becomes i don't know something like a sin maintenance program Right, where if I just show up about half the time, 75% of the time, you know, because that's what you do when your sin's been forgiven, for some reason you go to church. And you be a good person. And then the gospel loses any relevance for the rest of my life after that moment. And I think this is why our children compartmentalize faith. Right? Why and why we do it too. Why we put it in a box and we set it over here. And it has no relevance for anything else in life because we've lost sight of some kind of grand goal. And what we begin to do is we begin to put other things in place of that. And we begin to to pursue other ends, other aims, things that are going to get us what we want. And so here's what that version of Christianity looks like. A, check the Jesus box and get your sins forgiven. B, go to church and be a good person. And C, wait for death. Who wouldn't sign up for that? Right? Now, I think Christianity has a much better answer. And I think you see it here in Revelation chapter 21. Right? You see, in the interest of making things simple, we've cut off the real end of the story. And I think that's changed the story altogether. Jesus doesn't just come to forgive our sins. Jesus forgives our sins so that we will be made new. And we will enjoy face-to-face friendship with God forever. That's the goal. Right? The forgiveness of sins is part of that. It's part of the the process that gets us there. But the goal of Jesus' work is to reunite us with God forever. So if that doesn't excite you, well, before I, before I go down that rabbit trail, let's, let's talk about what this looks like. Okay, here's a, here's a simple definition. Here's a simple definition. We actually use this definition to describe uh, God's kingdom. And here it is. God's people living in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That's what we had in the garden. God's people living in God's place under God's rule and blessing. But when our first parents rejected God's rule, they also rejected his blessing. And they were removed from the garden. And we are now dealing with the fallout of that reality. But what we see in Revelation chapter 21 is that that will come to pass again, that Jesus will bring us back into God's place, we will receive God's rule and blessing, and we will enjoy his presence forever. So let's unpack what that looks like. And hopefully my my goal today is for that not to be some kind of floaty reality up here, but for that to actually touch where we live in the here and now. All right? So, first, God's place will be restored. Look at verses 1 and 2. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? What happened to the old one? Well, it passed away. It went away. We learn uh, back in chapter, uh, in chapter 20, verse 11, that uh, when the judgment comes... Uh, Earth and heaven flee away from Jesus. There's no place found for them. So he does away with the old, and he brings in the new. And he says something interesting. He says, and the sea was no more. And that's not because God prefers the mountains over the beach, okay? Uh, he, He doesn't have anything against the sea or the ocean. What the sea represents, remember that Revelation uses symbolic language, What the sea represents are the forces of chaos and evil. Think about uh, creation. God brings the dry land out of the sea, right? He tames the sea and brings creation out of it. Think about Israel and Egypt. What does God do? He parts the sea so that they can go through it, right? The sea represents chaos, evil. Uh, It's Where the dead go earlier in Revelation, right? And so in this new creation, there is no more sea. There is no more chaos. It is done away with. And he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. New Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem is where God's temple was, where God's presence dwelt within the temple. But here... Here we have a new Jerusalem. You see, the old Jerusalem was supposed to be holy. But the people who inhabited Jerusalem were not holy. You saw it in the video. Even the kings, especially the kings, led the people astray. And Jerusalem became far from a holy city. It became a city where every other god around them was worshipped as well as the one true God. God replaces the old Jerusalem with a new Jerusalem. So that new creation and new Jerusalem are the same thing. God's presence will now dwell in creation. How is it new? What do we mean by new? The word here can mean renovated or renewed. Not like brand new, never seen before, but new is in a replacement of what is old. And this fits what we see in the Bible. right? The old creation is impermanent it's perishable it's falling apart it's corrupt but the new creation it will be permanent and enduring paul uses this same language in first corinthians 15 to describe what will happen to believers when they rot rise from the dead that we will receive a resurrection body one that is imperishable that will happen to the creation as well So this is a a physical place. It's a real place. It's a new heaven and a new earth. So if your vision of heaven is that we're floating in the clouds, playing harps and white robes, that's not the picture of heaven that the Bible provides. The new heavens and the new earth are a physical place where we will run and play and maybe even fly. I don't know. Right? A new heaven and a new earth. A New Jerusalem. I won't, you know, if you go to any doctor's office, it seems, at least I don't go to the doctor a whole, whole lot, but I feel like every waiting room that I've, I've been in recently, they're always uh, showing the Home and Garden channel. And it's and it's always some version of Fixer Upper, right? Which is really just extreme makeover home edition for those of you old enough to remember that show. Right? There's There's something about home makeover shows that appeals to us. right? We love to see what is old and worn out and broken down brought back to life. It's why so many of us look back to our youth and say, mm, if only I looked like that again. If only my body worked like that again. That's because Deep down, there is this longing. We know that what we have is falling apart. And we long, even if, even if you don't realize it, you long for this day when all things will be made new. That's what God will do in the future. And as Zach already said, it's what he's beginning to do now for everyone who believes. Right, A new age began when Jesus left that tomb. When the Holy Spirit animated his dead body and his heart began to beat and he walked out of the tomb, a new creation began. And everyone who believes in Jesus, new creation begins in us as well. So Jesus has begun the work. He will complete it on that day. New creation will become reality. God's place will be restored and made better. But that's not all. We also see that God's rule and blessing will be restored as well. If you keep reading in chapter 21 on into chapter 22, John describes the new creation. He describes what this city looks like. I'm just going to read a snippet. If you fast forward to Revelation 21 verse 22. John says, I saw no temple in the city. Well, that's weird. Jerusalem has a temple. Why doesn't this city have a temple? Because its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. No no longer is there need for a special place uh, that, that can only be accessed by special people. Now God's presence fills the entire new creation. God's glory doesn't just fill the... The the holy of holies in the temple, it now fills the new creation. There's no longer a need for a temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And so God's redeemed people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation, all the glories of all the ethnicities all over the world, They will now acknowledge that God alone is king, and they will bring worship and honor and glory to him. That's what we see. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So no barriers, right? All all the good and none of the bad. God's rule and blessing restored. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is a... This, is, this, this should recall to you, if you're familiar with the Bible, this, this recalls the Garden of Eden. John sees paradise, but again, it's paradise made better. This garden city has a river flowing through the middle of it. It's the river of life, and it flows from the throne of God. And on each side of the river, I don't know how that's possible, right? but on each side of the river grows the tree of life. The last time we see the tree of life is in Genesis 3. When God removes Adam and Eve from the garden, he bars them from going back in so that they would not take from the the tree of life. So that they would not live forever in a condemned, damned state. Now we have access to the tree of life again. And he says it's a tree that yields fruit every month of the year. Again, I don't think this is literal. I think it's symbolic. But the picture that John sees is one of fullness and abundance and satisfaction. That's what God's rule and blessing looks like in the age to come. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. God's rule and blessing restored. But that is not the greatest blessing of all. There's one more. God's people will be restored in God's presence. And that's really the point. That is the point of the whole story that once again God's people would be face-to-face with the one who made them and redeemed them. Look at verse 3. Back in, sorry, back in chapter 21, verse 3. After John sees the holy city, this new creation, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, he hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And your Bible may have a little footnote there. That word for dwelling place is the word tabernacle. If you're not familiar with the story of the Bible, the tabernacle was this worship tent that Israel was commanded to build so that God would dwell in their midst. It came before the temple, but it was the place of God's dwelling with his people. So now we see that the the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Friend, this is what you were made for. This is the purpose for which you exist. And when you lay hold of that, everything else will begin to make sense. I didn't say everything else will be easy. But if you figure out what the main thing is, it puts all the other things in their place. Let me just read some passages from the Bible for you to show you how long this has been in the making. All the way back in Leviticus, in the Old Testament, God says in Leviticus 26, verse 11, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you will be my people. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Ezekiel 37, 27. Just before Ezekiel sees a vision of this temple that is to come, that, shock of all shocks, has a river of water flowing out from the temple that waters all of creation. So what John sees is what Ezekiel saw. Here's what Ezekiel says, Ezekiel 37, 27. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Zechariah 8, 8. And I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they will be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Friend, that's the point of the whole story. That is why Jesus came. Jesus came so that you and I would experience fellowship with God forever. And what's the result of that? Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. And one day, someday, he will put an end to that curse. And the God who was crucified on a cross will take his nail-scarred hands and he will stoop down and he will wipe away the tear from every eye and death will be put to death. That is what is in store for us. Why is it so important that we grasp that? Because I think when we grasp that, if if you're a believer, if you're a Christian this morning, when you grasp that, everything else falls into place. You know what the finish line looks like and you know what you're running towards. And if you know what the finish line looks like and you know what you're running towards, back when I ran, I was never a very fast runner. Still not a very fast runner. I'm even slower than I used to be. But right, something happens when you can see the finish line. That second wind kicks in and you start running faster. And if you and I can have the right finish line in view, then we will endure in the race. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans eight eighteen. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul talks about groaning and longing. And he says not only are we groaning and longing, but the creation itself is groaning and longing, waiting for this day, waiting for full redemption. If you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand with the Lord Jesus, right? What the voice from the throne, this, by the way, is only the second time that God speaks in Revelation. He speaks at the beginning and he speaks at the end. He says, it's done. It's complete. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He stands on both sides of history. He says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Freely, grace. Nobody who drinks from this stream, from this river, earns their spot on the riverbank. He gives freely to those who are thirsty. And so I guess I would ask you this morning, are you thirsty? Is this a compelling vision? Is this what you want to be true of your life? And I invite you to come. Come. And drink deeply of Jesus. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Friend, if you want this vision then you must be reconciled to God, and you cannot reconcile yourself. Jesus must be the one who reconciles you. You cannot trust in your own work. You must trust in his. But if you trust in his, he gives freely. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the words that I've spoken, Lord, and that they would be even more connected to your word of truth and that your word would come with power. That would encourage the faint hearted, those who are growing weak and weary, Lord, that we would see the finish line and know that you have secured it. And keep running. Lord I pray for those of us. Who have lost our first love. Who have begun to compromise. And fall away. Maybe we've lost sight. Of what truly matters. Of, what re- of what's really important. Lord I pray that you would. Open our eyes again. That you would show us your glory and your goodness and what you have achieved for us in the sacrifice of your son. Lord, and for those who do not yet believe, I pray that what we see, what we've seen here would be a compelling replacement for all of the other things we're chasing. That what we would want more than anything is to be reconciled to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.